whole armour of God is what we are looking at on Sunday evenings for the time being until we, well, I'm not going to use the word exhaust because we will not ever be able to exhaust the word of God, uh, the word of God. and for myself, uh, myself, I will never be able to plumb the depths of what is before me. But by God's grace, we will look at a couple of things and he may help us to understand and to see what we need to see. So we're looking particularly at verses 10 to 12, which is in this particular part, uh, we will say the beginning as he finishes talking about bond servants and masters in five through nine. He goes on to speak in this kind of last uh, farewell, if you like, this very important part. So he says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the armor of God, the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So before Paul says this farewell in Ephesians chapter 6 to his readers, We've seen already that he leaves them with something of vital importance, which is the command to put on the armour of God. Anybody uh, like animals here? Anybody know about the animal kingdom? Well, a lot of animals have unique defence mechanisms, don't they? Crabs have a hard shell. They have pincers. Scorpions have their sting. Chameleons adapt to their surroundings. Hedgehogs have their spikes. Elephants, their tusks, and so on and so forth. But why is that? Why do they have these unique defense mechanisms? Well, the word defense gives us the answer, doesn't it? It is because they need to protect themselves from predators. In one way or the other, they are vulnerable. And so they have these particular things in order to help them. But mankind, too, are vulnerable, which is why we need the armor of God. There is a difference, however, from us and those animals that we just spoke of. You see, if you disturb a scorpion, for example, as he sits in his place under the rock, he might sting you. You go and you, you mess around and you're moving the rocks around, you might suddenly find yourself with a tail and a sting stuck in your hand. It might happen. If you go and try to, to pick up a crab from the sea in its home, you, you may get a nasty nip. But how many people have you seen sat in their home in full body armour? I don't think you sit at home wearing body armour, do you? I, I don't. I'm sure you don't. But this armour that we are to put on, it's not like a bomb shelter or a panic room where we are to run and hide away to protect ourselves from the threat. That's not what it's for. Armour is made in a very particular way. Separate pieces 
are carefully designed to fit together so that they protect the more vulnerable parts of our bodies whilst still giving us the ability to move freely and swiftly. Armour is made to fit the body in order that we may be able to advance into the fight rather than hide behind bulletproof glass, so to speak. When we have armour on, we can move. And we're made to move because we're called to advance into the fight. We're called to walk into the fight. These other things that we mentioned, they may be hid away, but we're not hidden away. Neither are we to hide away. Paul begins by encouraging believers to be strong in the Lord. And not only in themselves, we can't really be strong in ourselves, no matter how much iron we pump. We can't be strong in ourselves. We have to be strong in the Lord. And Paul endorses us to be strong in the Lord, in the power of his might. We know that we are weak, which we ought to, if we really are Christian people. And we know that he is strong. We read that in scripture all over. We know that on our own, we are powerless against the enemy. And really, we have no real hope of safety. But we are assured that in him, under his protection, not one hair of our head will ultimately be harmed. I say ultimately because we talk about an end game here. You know, we don't want to take scripture like, like that, where it says not one hair of your head will be harmed, and then say that the Bible contradicts itself because many a Christian has been martyred. Well, you say, well, a hair of his head has been touched, hasn't it? But we're talking about ultimately here. The body they may kill, but the spirit, the soul, that which will be with God forever, for all eternity, nobody can touch that. It doesn't matter what they do. You see, the Lord is our fortress. The Lord is our strong, high tower. He is our rock, our foundation on which our feet are firmly planted. God is mighty and we are strong in his might. We've got to believe that. We've got to believe that we're strong in his might. Not alone, but his might how many of you have read The Pilgrim's Progress? Not many? I advise you to read it. It's a very good read. It's enjoyable, but it gives you a, a real overlook uh, in kind of uh, allegory, allegorical form, the life of the Christian. It's a fantastic book. And it's not really that long either. It's a great story. So if you get the chance, please do read it. But I'll tell you that one thing that you'll notice about Christian, that's his name, the character in the Pilgrim's Progress, his name's Christian, funnily enough, because he is endeavouring to become a Christian. But in this story, you'll notice that Christian, at once or as soon as he walks through what is called the wicker gate, whether he faces dangers, whether he faces snares and pits, whether he has 
a little time of peace, or and he has highs or he has lows. What you'll find is that he is constantly advancing. His journey goes on. And what about David? He's the same. When he was a young teenager, before he was king, he walked into the valley towards Goliath. He walked towards him. He didn't wait for Goliath to come to him. He looked and he listened and he saw and he looked at the army of Israel who were full of men, his own brother, Eliab, who was supposedly a, a, a warrior-looking person. For, for Samuel had said, surely this is the man who we should anoint as king. He obviously had something about him. Saul himself was head and shoulders in height above the rest and a mighty warrior. And yet there they were, quivering in fear because of Goliath. So David looks and he sees who is, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that dares to come against the armies of the living God. And so he takes his sling and his stones and he walks toward this giant warrior. He purposely went out to meet the enemy. Armour is designed to allow us to go into battle. That's what it's for. That's why we can manoeuvre, that's why it's made in such a special way that we can still use our arms and legs and all the limbs that we have. It's made so that we can advance into battle. Again, notice when David went out to battle in God's might, he had great success. When he actually got up, when he actually led his army into battle, he came home and came home with great success. Remember the chants that they sang. Saul has killed his thousands. David has killed his tens of thousands. He was successful because God was with him. But when he stayed at home, you remember the story. It says in the day where kings go to battle, David stayed home. And he was found to be wandering around his chambers, probably bored stiff. And he goes to the balcony and there he sees Bathsheba in all her glory, bathing in her beauty. And he lusts after her and he sends to inquire after her and he gets the men to bring him to him and the rest is history. So when he stays away, when he stayed home and all his men went to war, he dropped his guard and he sinned greatly against the Lord. Now this command that we have here, Paul says, it might, he doesn't say it might be a good idea, friends, if you put on the armour of God. He doesn't say that. He says, put on the armour of God. He's telling us that we need to do this. This is a command of Scripture. And this command to put on the armour of God is for every believer. Every one of us you know, is commanded to put on the army of God. We are all to advance. We're all to face the enemy and his wiles and his fiery darts. You won't escape it. Don't think you will. You won't. You will always face the wiles and the fiery darts of the evil one. <clears throat> We're not to hide away. It might seem kind of a bit of a scary thing to think about the devil, who's far greater in power than we are. But of course, we go back, don't we, to the command of the Lord to be strong, to be strong in his mind. But we can't hide away. But we have to face our enemy 
and face him with full trust in God, with stout hearts, not quivering weaklings, with stout hearts, with full trust in God, with the courage of a lion. But not any lion, the lion of Judah, Christ Jesus, our high commander. He is the courage in which we have and in which we rest. Anybody here ever been or still is a fan of wrestling? Yeah? Okay. My younger brother, when he was little, used to love watching wrestling on TV. And one Christmas, he was so excited to receive some figures and a little wrestling ring to play with. I never got the draw of watching something which was quite obviously scripted and fake. The outcome was certain before the match began. I just thought, I don't understand why watching this. You can clearly see that this is fake. They're not doing anything. They're stamping the floor. They're not really hitting anybody. And you know really that this has all been written before. They've gone on and they've got their instructions and there's going to be a winner before they even fight. I don't get it. That's what I don't get about wrestling. I've said this before, but it's, it's easy to kind of overlook such terms that we find written in our text here. You can kind of read them and read them as just a form of, of description, something that Paul's trying to explain to us, to describe to us. Everything in Scripture, though, has a purpose, doesn't it? Scripture is God-breathed. And God is not haphazard in any way, shape, or form. It's his word, and nothing is written just to fill a space. Now, Paul could have used many a word here. He could have used war. He could have used battle or fight, or contend. We war, we battle, we fight, we contend. And these things can be very general and broad in their meaning. When we use these words, we may typically envision things like the Great World Wars, or the American Revolution, perhaps even the Battle of Waterloo, things like that. When we think of wars, that's what we think of, perhaps. And in wars like these, there are many strings to the bow. There are men on the ground fighting on the front lines, pilots in the sky dropping bombs. There are fleets of ships and submarines under the ocean. In bygone years, before any of us were on the earth, perhaps lines of men with muskets and bayonets, cavalry on horseback, cannons and swords and Primitive weapons, as it were, fighting and, and clashing in great groups of numbers like ants swarming everywhere. They would, must have been a, a, so noisy and so confusing. And, and, I, and I've watched some, some films before where they've been portraying the, the American Revolution or things, the Civil War and things like that. And I think, how do you know who's who? It's so fast. It's, I mean, surely some of them must have turned around and killed their own men. It was just so crazy. But there are also those of a superior rank in the armies, 
who strategize and plan behind the scenes. They, they send soldiers everywhere, but these people rarely come face to face with the enemy themselves personally. The high officers. This is what war is like. But Paul meant something different here. <clears throat> there are three other places that can be found in the Bible with regards to wrestling. The first is in Genesis 30 verse 8, which says, Then Rachel said, With great wrestlings I have wrestled with my sister, and indeed I have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. Obviously contending there with her sister Leah. The other two are found in Genesis 32, 24 to 25. You probably know where we're going with this one. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. Let's note a few things about wrestling. Those to whom this letter would be read to would be familiar with wrestling because it was part of the Olympic Games. And so they would have understood both the reference to it and the meaning of it and the detail of it. They would have understood what Paul was saying in its precise detail. But the first thing I want you to observe is that whilst wars and battles are fought mainly between large people groups, Wrestling itself is more of a one-on-one -on -one combat. In the verses above, we see that it was Rachel herself who had great wrestlings with her sister. It wasn't other people, but it was her and her sister. Just them two together. So with Jacob, who went aside. You remember, he went aside. He went away from his family and he crossed the river alone. And over the Jabbok River, I think it was, he wrestled with a man. Capital M, the man. And he wrestled with him till daybreak. The wrestling is not, it's not a team sport, but it's a one-on-one, -on -one, man to man, woman to woman, if you like, contest, where one man goes up against another, just as David goes before Goliath. All the armies stood there watching behind him, and he goes there alone to face the mountain of a man. It's a contest of brute strength where each exerts his whole energy against the other. In wars and battles, there may be ceasefires. There may be short breaks in fighting where each side may have a chance to rest and regroup and to ready themselves for the next onslaught. It happens. Wrestling, though, is continuous. You're in the ring as one, without help and support of the army with you. It's also a fiercer battle, a fiercer fight. Maybe long and hard, but in wars, every soldier doesn't always fight all the time. In a war, it's the whole army which is attacked. There are many casualties, but not every soldier is wounded. I'm going to quote to you William Gurnall a couple of times 
that he says in wrestling, each contestant is the sole object of his challenger's fury and must be shaken and tried until one or the other is proclaimed victorious. There's no break. There's no ceasefire. There's no just give me a minute. You're wrestling and you're fighting and you're battling and you're tearing at one another until one outcome is there. One person wins. Not only is wrestling a one-on-one -on -one fight, it's also close combat. Wars and battles can be fought from near or from afar. But wrestling consists of hand-to-hand -hand fighting. When missiles fly from the enemy army from a distance, they may be intercepted, they may be dodged. But when you're in hand-to-hand -hand combat, close combat, both parties, when they're locked into one another, the blows come quick. And the truth of it is, there are, there are boxing fans in here, I know. But you see, what does a boxer have to do when he gets hit? Well, he has to, he has to deal with it. He has to man up and deal with it. Otherwise, he has to declare defeat. And that's what we have to do. They must be borne manfully. These blows must be borne manfully. Or we must submit to defeat. Paul says, we wrestle. This means that the saints wrestling with the enemy is universal all across the world, all across the globe. Our brothers and sisters face the very same thing. Satan is no respecter of persons. He hates not only Christ, but he hates all his saints. And he will not even spare even the lowliest of them. Again, Gurnall notes, all must wrestle. Not one part of Christ's army in the heat of the battle and the other at ease in their quarters. There's no split. There's no part of the church that sits at ease in their quarters with the feet up and the head on a fluffy pillow while the other is out in battle. We're all in the battle all across this globe. Every single believer, even the lowliest of them, as he says, will not be spared by the enemy. What about length of time? How long must saints wrestle? Well, look again to Bunyan's Christian in the Pilgrim's Progress. The struggles he endures, those trials and tribulations and pits that he had were all the journey through. Even as he crossed the river that faced that great celestial city, the picture of heaven, he felt as though he were drowning, questioning his strength and his faith. Only when he reached the other side and he reached the beautiful city was the journey finished. Think of your own lives, particularly your awareness since you believed upon Christ. Think about it for a while. If you can think back that far, maybe you've been Christian for many years, but I'm sure you'll remember. How much more did your struggles increase since you became a believer? From this very moment, even now, until your body is sown in death, you will war against sin. 
against your flesh, against the world, and against the devil. Remember those children of Israel who came out of Egypt into the wilderness. They never found true peace until they entered their Canaan. Saints will not cease from this wrestling until we enter our blessed rest in glory. That is the truth, and you might not want to hear that, but it's true. You will never stop wrestling with sin, with your flesh, with the world, and particularly Satan, this whole life through until you reach glory. Mr. Gurnall states again, whether you like it or not, you must go into the ring with Satan. He has not only general malice against the army of saints, but a particular spite against every single child of God. As our Lord delights to have private communion with his saint, so the devil delights to challenge the Christian when he gets him alone. The whole issue with your spiritual destiny is personal and particular. You give Satan a dangerous advantage if you see his wrath and fury bent in general against the saints and not against you specifically. Satan hates me. Satan accuses me. Satan tempts me. Conversely, you lose much comfort when you fail to see the promises and providences of God as available for your own specific needs. God loves me. God pardons me. God takes care of me. The water supply for the town will do you no personal good unless you have a pipe that carries it to your own house. Let it serve both a caution and a comfort to know that your spiritual combat is singular. As I've said, we are in a lifelong war. We battle and we wrestle all of our earthly lives. I just read to you from Daniel 3, 24 to 26. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. And he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counsellors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst of the fire. All believers are in the ring. All believers are in the fire. And though we have our personal fight with sin, with self, with Satan, just like that amazing portion of the story that we've just read above, Christ, the Son of Man, and the Son of God is in the ring and is in the fire with us. He is the fourth man. He does not leave us 
as orphans. He does not leave us alone. What does the scripture say? Lo, I am with you. Even until the end of the age, I will never forsake you. These are promises within our grasp. And the writer to the letter of Hebrews encourages us to come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The Apostle Paul spoke of his stripes, spoke of his wounds, the beatings that he endured, the shipwrecks, his hunger, days and nights drifting at sea, his numerous sufferings at the hand of men. He also speaks of his turmoil and the weight and care for all the churches. Tells us of his thorn in the flesh, which he caused the messenger of Satan sent to buffet him. He speaks of his sin and his hope in Christ. In all these things, he says, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all, the Lord delivered me. Do you believe that? You may come to me and say, yes, but Paul was beheaded. So he didn't deliver him. Oh, he did. That was his last delivery. Delivering to glory. What a promotion. What a wonderful promotion. So we go right back to the beginning. We admit readily that this life that we live is full of battles. It's full of wrestlings and fights. But we wrestle equipped. So this is all about. Put on the armour of God. We wrestle equipped. We wrestle in the strength of God and in the power of his might. How could Jacob wrestle with the man, capital M, until daylight? Not giving up until he blessed him. How would he have the strength to do such a thing? How could a small youth go against a mammoth-sized warrior and defeat him with a sling and stones? How could Samson slay hundreds of Philistines with the jawbone of an ox and push roof-supporting pillars apart with his bare hands? How could Elijah slay 400 prophets of Baal? And how could Moses lead the entire people of Israel out of slavery to the Egyptians, had Christ not been with them. None of these people put on the armour of God and sat on their sofa at home. They worked, they fought, they felt pain and they were weary. They mourned, they wept, they grieved and sinned and repented and went on in the strength of God, in the power of his might. God was with them and God will be with you. Deuteronomy 20 finally says in verse 4, For the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you 
against your enemies to save you. We must believe it and we must fight in the power of God and in his might as we wrestle our lives through. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we have the armour of God. Lord, help us, we pray, to look at these scriptures and not just think that they were written by Paul to the Ephesians, but that they're written to us also, and that you have called us as your people to put on the whole armour of God. It's called the armour of God. It is your armour. It's a gift from you so that we can stand against the wiles of the devil. Father, help us. Give us wisdom to know what this means. Cause us to read the word, to pray, to look, to ask, to meditate on them. And you may open up the scriptures to us that we may understand what the perfect will of God is for us. Lord, we are wrestlers in one sense. We wrestle against our flesh. We wrestle against sin. We wrestle against the world. We wrestle against self and we wrestle against Satan, our greatest enemy. And Lord, we would be overpowered and destroyed were it not for you. Were it not for the fact that you said at the very beginning, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Lord, help us to do that. Help us not to be those who sit on the sofa in full body armor, but be those that wear the armor made for our bodies, made for our souls and spirits in our spiritual fight, that we may maneuver freely and that we may come against the enemy. Father, we thank you for your grace, mercy, and kindness towards us tonight. Thank you, Lord, for your salvation. And Lord, once again, we pray, if there's any amongst us who do not know you, pierce them through, we pray, with your word, that they may have no other choice, but in grief and in misery of sin, bow the knee and call upon Christ to be their Lord and Saviour, to believe upon you. Allah, that they may be free, set free from those shackles, that burden. All who are heavy laden, Lord, may they come and may they find their rest in you. Lord, we ask for your glory amongst us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.